Welcome to the Labor Lessons Podcast, real-life lessons from real-life labor and delivery experiences, offering support and the knowledge that you are not alone on your birthing journey. The purpose of this podcast is to educate based on others' past experiences. It is not intended as medical advice. I'm your host, Carly, C-section mom, VBAC mom, and mom who's simply passionate about birth. Welcome back to this episode of the Labor Lessons Podcast. My guest today is Adrienne Babbitt from Wisconsin. She is a Christian author, blogger, proofreader, and mentor to other aspiring authors. Besides relaunching her debut book, The Miscarriage Project, and her new children's book series, Princess with a Purpose, she also runs her own Christian lifestyle blog entitled The Haven. She has also been featured on the Christian Broadcasting Network. Adrienne attended Moody Bible Institute studying children's ministry and has served in youth ministry with her husband for over 12 years. They have been married for nine years and have six children. She believes that when you understand God's word to your life, you and your family can thrive. Adrienne's labor lesson is be your own advocate. You have to stick up for yourself and your body and your baby. Adrienne, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So you've had six pregnancies, five live children and one miscarriage, and then ectopic pregnancy miracle rainbow baby. That sounds amazing. Um, So why don't you go ahead and start wherever you'd like to? Um, I'm really interested to hear about your stories today. Okay. Um, Well, I thought it'd be easiest to share a little bit about um, each each labor and delivery because they were so different. Um, And it's easier for me to remember in chronological order. So I thought I'll start that way. (laughs) Um, My oldest, who's eight, um, we were actually living in Chicago at the time. And it was a very difficult labor and delivery because my water broke two days before I actually had him. And little did I know, I probably should have gone to the hospital. Uh, But my water broke when I was going to the bathroom. So I'm like, I think that was it. I don't know. I'd watched that Jennifer Lopez movie, I think Plan B, and I thought, I'm like, well, there's no blood in it. Like, it doesn't look like the movies, so maybe it wasn't my water. The movies lie, people. They do, yeah. Um, So I, you know, probably was in early labor for the next two, three days and woke up on my inducement date the day after my birthday in active labor. So we get to the hospital you know, it's Chicago. So my husband's driving on the shoulder trying to get to the hospital in the burbs. And, you know, we get there and in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this all natural. This is how people are supposed to do it. You know, and then they blew my IV twice and I went to a panic attack. And at that moment, I'm like, give me the drugs, give me the drugs. I can't, I can't do this. And it didn't help that they were treating me like a teenager because, you know, I was 22 at the time, but I looked younger. And so they were kind of treating us like teen parents. And so I just didn't feel very, I don't, I just didn't feel treated very well. Um, and then with him, he was also eight days late. So then comes, you know, he had swallowed meconium. He, the epidural slowed down labor. Um, so I had to get on Pitocin. Um, and then, so by the time he came out, you know, I had tore a little bit and, 
he came out purple and my husband's bawling. Like he's like, Oh, our baby's so beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Whoa, what's going on? Because I know, you know, when babies come out, they're supposed to be crying and he wasn't crying. So I just feel like there was a lot of things that didn't go as planned with, uh, with our son. But, um, it was a really special moment because that, you know, they had, they had, t- you know, quick clipped him, you know, got him over the table. And the first thing I saw of him was his little foot sticking up in the air. <laughs> um, so that was really sweet, but they eventually got, they quickly got him crying. Um, and during labor specifically, you know, since my water had broke, I had an infection. I started having a fever probably the last, you know, I'd been pushing for two hours. So probably the last half of that. Um, I'm like, it's so hot in here. It's so hot in here. And the doctor and the nurses are just talking to each other about, you know, their own gossip or whatever. And they're not even paying attention to me. And I'm like, it is so hot in here. And then they finally paid attention to me and they realized I had a fever. And then they, all these people start coming in the room and realizing how serious this is. Um, Cause my water, they kept trying to wait for my water to break. Well, they never found it. So then they finally realized, Oh, it's not there. <laughs> So I feel like the labor and delivery in that aspect would have gone better if they had just paid attention. You know, they're there to serve the moms, you know, and dads that are there to give birth. They're not there to judge. They're not there to ignore. They're not there to gossip. Um, so that was in one instance. I'm like, it is so hot in here. And if I hadn't spoken up, you know, I could have got, gotten even even worse trouble. Um, so they just ended up giving me antibiotics and his poor little hand when he had, he had a little IV on his hand because um, he had antibiotics as well. But he is super healthy, um, strong little boy today. So um, I think that would be the big thing from his story. What was your what was your pregnancy like with him? Like, did you feel prepared for birth going in with him? Yes and no. Um, you know, my husband and I, we got married after my freshman year of college and his sophomore year. So we waited a year. And then we really wanted to have kids, even though we weren't done with school. So trying to balance college life as a college student and getting ready to be a mom. I feel like yes and no, because my sisters are 10 and 13 years older. So I have lots of nieces and nephews and kind of seen them walk through this. So I think in a way I thought I was ready. But when it came down to it, there were just so many unexpected things. I'm like, what just happened? Like, this is not... And they talk about that in birthing class, like expect something not to go the way you expect. Um, So you're not so like traumatized or blindsided by it. Um, But pregnancy wise, I think I did really well with him. I had, (laughs) I craved burgers and pizza and like everything greasy. And then towards the end when he dropped, I actually could like take like wasabi and salsa verde and no heartburn. I've never been able to do that again. But for like one week, get trying to get him to get going because he was eight days late. You know, I had no heartburn, but it never happened again. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst that heartburn at the end. <laughs> yes, yes. So he was that was unique to him. Um, and then my second Zoe. So we were like, oh, let's see. You know, when we get pregnant, see when God wants us to have another one. You know, Titus is five or six months old and we're pregnant. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) did not plan that or expect that so quick. 
Um, Zoe in particular, so hers was different in that there was more risk involved. Um, so with Titus, there really wasn't much until delivery. With Zoe, she ha- I had a low-lying placenta. And so I had to be a lot more careful, especially towards the end. And at 32 weeks, somehow, she kicked part of the placenta out. And it like separated and came out, but she was still fully contained and I was not still bleeding. So literally the placenta separated and she kicked part of it out at 32 weeks. You know, and the first thing in my head, I'm like blood, like I'm miscarrying. Like that's the only thing I resonate with, you know, blood, especially at that stage. Um, they gave her the, the lung shot and her lungs are really good today. <laughs> um, and she was just in there kicking. So no complications after that? Did you carry her to full to full term? I carried her till three days late. I couldn't believe it. Because she she is a fighter for sure. And I think with her, she had the cord wrapped around her three times by the time she was born. And so we took her her labor and delivery a lot more carefully because they did that forty week ultrasound and I'm thankful that they did that so you know, when her heart rate was dropping, they knew it was because of the cord. Um, but I was still able to deliver her vaginally. Yeah. And she came really fast. <laughs> she came really, really fast. The epidural did not slow down her labor that much. <laughs> her, I have a funny story. So, you know, my water hadn't broken yet, but I was really feeling the contractions and we get to the hospital and the doctor asked me, you want me to break your water? And literally, as she said that, my water broke. Because <laughs> deep down, I really wanted it to break on its own. So trying to do things naturally. But yeah, it literally broke as soon as she said that. I'm like, I think it just broke. <laughs> <laughs> your body was like, all right, we're ready. <laughs> yeah. yes. So and then after our, um, our second, then we had, we got pregnant with the baby we miscarried. Um, we call him Timothy. So Zoe would have been about eight months old. Titus was almost two. And that pregnancy in particular, it just felt different. I was craving really weird things. Um, I just feel like it was the opposite of what I was supposed to feel. Like it felt kind of normal at first, and then it just didn't. Like I, I got less and less cravings, less and less nauseous. Um my weirdest craving ever was with that pregnancy and it was tuna fish, mayo and tortilla chips. The weirdest thing. It was so good at that moment, but it was the weirdest craving I had had. So, um, carried him to nine weeks and six days. Um, I bled and I think I'd been cramping all week. I was really dizzy. I was really tired. I didn't know the signs really of what to look for. And then I started bleeding and we went to get an ultrasound and there was no heartbeat. And, you know, I was praying and praying and praying all weekend, you know, and this is mother's day weekend. So, um, you know, praying and praying and like really having faith that God would heal this baby. But I mean, by the measurements of the baby, he'd been gone a month already, you know? So, I mean, he was already gone. Um, cause he was only measuring about five weeks. Um, and then I woke up the day after mother's day and I'd miscarried, you know, just, you know, the blood, you know, I just, I ran to the bathroom and I was just sobbing and I just went into shock. I just, I went into shock and, you know, this is like three in the morning and I'm like 
calling for my husband and, you know, because we had little kids sleeping and couldn't call someone at 3 a.m., um, he just quick dropped me off at the ER and went back home. So I was alone in the ER by myself. And they basically, I mean, they're like, I'm so sorry, and basically gave me pain meds and sent me home. I mean, there wasn't, they didn't have a program to kind of help help me grieve at all, really. Um, and that's why I ended up writing the book, The Miscarriage Project, because I wanted women to have something and to know of people who had made it through and who had someone who was raw enough to tell them the truth of like how they're really feeling in those moments. And then, so a week after I miscarried, I got pregnant again and I was not expecting that. And my husband and I were not on the same page at all, but I think for me, at least I needed that physical reconnection of like, we're going to get through this, you know, cause I've known other couples that, you know, this, this is what divides them and their marriage. They let it divide them completely. And so I didn't want that to happen. So then we get pregnant with our ectopic rainbow baby. And we didn't even know we were pregnant with her till like my six or my, I think it was the HCG level test after the miscarriage. And they're like, um, have you taken a test lately? You're pregnant. I was like, what? (laughs) I'm like, what? My husband's going to kill me. (laughs) No, he, no. He loves our kids, but it was just kind of a, I know he's not ready. I'm kind of freaking out. But then when they do the ultrasound, because I had just miscarried, they wanted to make sure things were okay. So they did it early on. This is about a month after the miscarriage. And I have a ovarian cyst that has a lot of blood flow to it. And they basically take me from ultrasound to the ER and they're talking to me and they're like, this is dangerous. You know, we need to take care of this. You have three options. You can either take something to get rid of it. So basically abortion. Um, We can wait and see what happens. Or you can do this laparoscopic scope to make sure that, you know, make sure that there's not a baby in the cyst, I guess. Or to, you know, to see, to remove it if it is. Um, And they left and I had, you know, had to think about it. And I remember well, more yelling at the Lord than praying, but I'm like, I am not losing another baby. You move this baby to where it can survive. Like I am not losing another baby in a month. Like, no, thank you. And I could literally feel movement in that moment from the ovary to the right ovary to the uterus. And I was just like, whoa, what just happened? And the week before all of this, you know, she wasn't in the uterus. When they did the ultrasound, she wasn't there. The week after she was in the uterus. I mean, and this cyst was huge, you know. So they, I'm sorry. So they told you to come back like the following week to check and make sure. Or you were like, no, I'm not. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. Okay. So we decided to do the scope. And because I wanted to make sure like I didn't want to just take something to get rid of it. If the baby was able to be saved. Um, I wanted to make sure like without a doubt. So for me, I felt led to do the surgery because we wanted to make absolute sure, you know, I'm signing all these papers, what to do with the remains. I mean, it was just, it was a horrible, a horrible moment. Um, I'm like, are we really going through this again? And I remember like, no, wait. And then they knocked me out for the surgery because I, I really didn't want to lose another baby. And I wake up and my husband's like, you're still pregnant. I'm like, what do you mean I'm still pregnant? He's like, you're still pregnant. I like it just t- it took me a while to kind of come to and realize that 
um, I, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And when we followed up with the surgeon a week later, she's like, I don't know what to tell you, but there was no baby in that cyst. Like she couldn't, she was in awe. Like she had, was baffled that like she couldn't even explain what happened. I mean, I have pictures of it. The cyst was huge. <laughs> it was really big. That's incredible. Um, so I'm very, very thankful for her. She's turning six next week and uh, she's a lot feistier than I expected, but <laughs> <laughs> she is um, it's truly a gift. So I'm just thankful that we didn't just, I don't know, take the easy way out per se, because she, she's here, she's alive and she's doing well. And I know this isn't the, the story for everyone. It's pretty rare, um, but it is possible. So I'm very thankful for her. Talk to me a little bit about what that was like after you found out that you were still pregnant and then having had a previous miscarriage or, you know, finding out that your, your baby was gone at like almost 10 weeks pregnant. What was that like for you? Like, especially in the first trimester, but even, you know, further throughout your pregnancy. Well, I was pregnant for 11 months that year. So that was a very long year. (laughs) Um, Psychologically, you know, when I would be in first trimester, I would, I would feel like I was in second, you know, because I'd gone almost a full trimester, first trimester with, with Timothy. So I would feel like I was a trimester behind, like ahead of where I actually was. And I just felt like I was nesting way earlier and third trimester felt like forever. It felt like I had two third trimesters. It was very difficult. I think in my book, I really talk about how I thought that having another baby would fix how I felt. And it didn't because it's a whole different person. It's a whole different baby. I mean, it did in the sense of like once she came, but during the pregnancy, there's, there's this fear, there's this anxiety, there's this, there's, there's no innocence in that pregnancy anymore because I've already lost one. And so it just, it wasn't the same after that. You know, every, every pain, every, ache every just every thing that didn't seem quite right I would be like oh is is, is there a problem is he you know is are they okay and I should have gotten one of those heart mean dopplers because I probably would have checked every five minutes <laughs> so it was very difficult uh and I definitely had some severe severe depression that really went untreated till I had my next till I had my fifth pregnancy and I really wish, I think in the environment we were in, because my husband's a youth pastor. And so there's so much stigma on what, how the wife should be and how she should act. And I really struggled because I wanted everyone to know that I lost a baby. And I wanted every, like even people at the grocery store I was working at, because my husband was finishing his master's, you know, they're like, well, how many kids do you have? They're like, well, I have, you know, so many at home, but I lost a baby. And it just got to the point, my mom's like, okay, don't cast your pearls before swine here. Like, not every, you don't need to tell everyone that you lost the baby, only, you know, the people that it would either benefit them to hear your story or that they're close to you. Not not every stranger buying (laughs) buying their groceries needs to hear about this. Um, So that kind of helped me too. And really wrestling with, okay, when they ask how many kids you have, how do you answer that question? That really bothered me because um, I wanted to count him. But then if I count him, I have to explain. It was almost easier to tell strangers because they didn't know how many 
kids I had. So I could just say four and they just went with it. They didn't question it. So it was almost easier to tell strangers than people I actually knew because they get really confused. Um, yeah. So that was a very, very, very dark time for me and my faith because I felt like God had broken all his promises to me. You know, cause I'm like, you know, I got saved at a young age and I've been trying to serve him the best I can. And I just felt like I was being punished. Like I'd done something wrong, but now I see it as, you know, God didn't create death, you know, sin brought death into the world. And so it's not, it's not fair to blame God for a life that he created and thinking that he took it away. Um, that's, I don't think, I don't think we give a, Satan enough credit for ruining our lives and causing havoc. Um, so that, I mean, that took a long, you know, a good three years to really come to that conclusion. So I'm not saying it happens immediately. Uh, but I think the bigger struggle is just what people would say. They're like, are you sure you had a miscarriage? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and I'm like, are, are you sure you weren't just having twins? Because, you know, it was so close together. Um, or aren't you glad you're having a girl instead of a boy? I'm like, no, just, just some really hurtful things. But my mops group at the time really rallied around me and God brought specific women in my life to speak into those moments where I really needed comfort and companionship the most. Um, so I'm really, really thankful for that. Did you start writing your book at that point in time or that didn't come till later? So the book actually started as a blog. So it started about a month after the miscarriage. So that would be June 2016. And then it lasts over the next three years of me processing. You know, I wrote for the first year, you know, thinking I was done. And the Lord just kept prompting me like, it's almost like I couldn't relax until I wrote about it. Like, you know, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to write about this. I don't want to be known for this. I don't want... You know, because I've always wanted to be a writer, but I'm like, why this one? Like, why does this have to be the, the first book I publish, you know? Um, so it's as it was happening over three years time. And then I finally felt ready to like put it in the book and really face face the content because it's me reliving trauma. And then I realized, you know, my story is not enough. So I added nine other testimonies to give more of a complete support tool for people because everybody's story is so different. So it includes uh, my husband's testimony as well, um, coming from a pastor perspective, and then actually two teens that were in our youth group at the time and their perspectives and having miscarriage, you know, when it, it really is hush hush because they shouldn't have been having sex in the first place. Um, and so it's been such a, an honoring and healing project because I know it's helping other people and I know it's for a reason. So it's just been very, very healing in that regard. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so let's go to your fifth pregnancy. Okay. So our smallest baby, let's see. This is so funny because my husband and I were finally on the same page of waiting because he was starting his master's program. And... <laughs> January, the middle of his first year, or January 1st, we're like, oh, it's a new year. No, you know, no pregnancy. We're actually going to be active this summer. And then January 3rd, guess what? 
I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Just takes months, people. <laughs> um, so she, with her, it was a little harder. You know, I had the other three, and they were super helpful. Um, but you know, he's in the middle of his master's program, so it was a lot more stress on our family. And she was our smallest baby. But I would say her labor was actually the most traumatic. You know, I went into it expecting like, oh, you know, it's my fifth delivery. Like, it'll be easy. And it was anything but easy. Um, she, let's see. Well, I guess I skipped Caroline's. But um, my fourth, the rainbow baby, she, she had to, I had to be induced a week early with her. And they, you know, they prepared me the night before and it wasn't too bad. But with this one, they didn't prep me at all. Like I was barely faced. My, I think I was like maybe two centimeters and not a faced at all. And the doctor's reaching her hand up there, popping my water like 20 times. And it's just so like, it's so painful. I'm screaming. Like I had a friend in the next room who'd already given birth and she thought I was pushing. She's like, you know, Lord, please help the woman in the next room, like push and make it through. And like, I hadn't even started yet. (laughs) Uh, So that was the first part of like the traumatizing experience because she was flipping so much and they didn't tell me this at the time, but she was flipping so much. They were worried about the cord and she also had low amniotic fluid. So the Lord told me like, trust your doctors, like trust your doctor, you know, and it, I went through so much trauma and I'm like, why am I supposed to trust my doctor? (laughs) But, um, I think if I'd waited, I may not have had, you know, she may not have survived. You were induced for your fourth and, and your fifth. Yes. Okay. Yes. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? Was that like health issues you had to be induced for both of them? Um, it wasn't so much for me as for the babies. So, um, with the rainbow baby, I think they kind of blur together after a while, <laughs> but I think they both had low amniotic fluid. Oh no. Okay. So with the rainbow baby, the placenta had a hepatoma inside of it. So basically a big sack of blood inside the placenta. And so I was high risk. I was still able to deliver vaginally, but it was very high risk in the sense that they didn't want that to burst. Um, so they were treating that with more care. Some of this you kind of block out because it's just so hard to think about. Um, because I actually have a blood clotting disorder that wasn't explained to me until much. I found out with my first, but they didn't even say what it was or the implications of it. And so I had to learn after the miscarriage, okay, what, what does this even mean? Like, why didn't anyone explain this to me? Uh, so that was a big part of that journey as well. Could my could my miscarriage have been prevented? And that was very difficult to swallow. But no, with my fourth, uh, she came out fine, super healthy baby. Like it was just miraculous how God just took care of me and protected the baby. And I think she had the cord around her as well. So the fifth, so our third girl, she was so tiny. She was our smallest baby. I think she was like six, four when she came out. Um, which is why she had so much room because she was so small. And then when she came out, I believe, I think I'm mixing up babies, but there was actually a knot in the, in the umbilical cord. I think from, maybe it was my last baby. There was actually a knot in the umbilical cord, which explained why they were, why she was so small because she wasn't getting 
She needed to come out because she wasn't getting the full nutrients. But the more traumatic parts, it just kind of kept getting worse and worse. So they traumatically broke my water. They're inducing me. They didn't prepare my cervix. So it was just a very hard, intense labor. Um, you know, I think she had the cord around her too. So like just the, her heart dropping and, oh yeah. So I had my epidural and it only half worked and the lady wouldn't fix it. So I could feel half of everything and she wouldn't fix it. And the day after I had the baby, I had incredibly painful migraines. So they do the blood patch, which is even more, even more painful than the epidural was. And it didn't fix it. I had, I had migraines for a month month and a half. That's terrible. And I just, I couldn't, I had shredded my intestines so much with ibuprofen. I had to have a colonoscopy and, you know, so no eating, no drinking for 24 hours. I mean, I was a mess. I had to have colonoscopy and a scope done. I had to be on these like stomach medications. Headaches aren't going away. I finally get into my six week checkup and they ask me how labor and delivery went. And I burst into tears because I just been through so much that six weeks. And they tried to take my blood. My blood pressure dropped like six times. Like I was so dehydrated and my doctor looked at me and she's like, you need to be on medication this time. You need to be on antidepressants this time. I'm not giving you a choice. Like you need it this time. Because I probably needed it after every single one, but I hadn't dealt with it. And it just hit me like a Mack truck. Literally, the migraines were coming from the depression, the postpartum, the lack of hormone. The hormones weren't right. And so I I had no choice. I did, but I knew I needed it. Like I was at my wit's end. I was just a mess. So then starting that process, the headaches finally go away you know, this is maybe five or six months later. And then my husband starts having depression issues because I'm finally stable enough for him to let down. And I mean, at that point we'd been through like three or four moves, two or three different jobs. You know, we had four under four is very, you know, trying to buy a house when I had, yeah. Trying to buy a house when I had just had the baby and the migraines and everything. He's still in his master's program. And it was just kind of the perfect storm. So I think for for her, I think she's was definitely the most, that was the most traumatic year of my life. (laughs) And I wasn't, you know, I thought we were done. I'm like, I'm not doing this again. Fast forward to our youngest. So he's a COVID baby. (laughs) Um, And we, you know, we were going back and forth and I kind of just felt like, you know, so they're, they ended up being two and a half years apart where the other ones were more 14 months or 19 months apart. Um, they're two and a half years apart. So there was definitely, we took some time to kind of get ourselves healthy and just mentally, we just, we're not in a good place. And then right before we didn't know this, but right before he ended up switch, we ended up moving and switching jobs, found out we were pregnant with um, our last boy. And cause his big brother was praying. He's like, I have three sisters. Girls. No. <laughs> and he's like, I'm, I'm so, cause they had been all in the same room. And then once we split, he was so lonely. He's like, I'm so lonely in my room. <laughs> I'm like, I'm praying for a baby brother, mom and dad. And he was persistent, you know, cause you know, it couldn't come from me. It had to come from him. And I think my husband mm-hmm. finally realized 
So like when we tried for our last one, I'm like, please be a boy. Please be a boy. (laughs) (laughs) So and he came out a boy. So thankful for that. I feel like his pregnancy was very redeeming because I didn't think I could have another boy because of the miscarriage, you know, and we had, I'm like, Oh, we'll have another boy. And then we had three girls. I'm like, Whoa. And we forgot to, you know, we named my son's middle name after my dad, but on my husband's side, I think there's like three or four generations of single children or of only children. And so the name Charles had been passed down and we didn't do that with him. We're like, Oh, we'll have another boy, whatever. And then we get to our last one. So we find his middle name is Charles. <laughs> we finally fulfilled, fulfilled that. I'm like, oh, no, we ruined family tradition. I'm like, oh, no. And But it's funny, though, because my oldest looks like my dad, like my, my side of the family. And my youngest looks like my husband and his side of the family. That's really funny. So God really worked that out because I was like, oh, no, we screwed it up. Like, what did we do? Because um, my husband lost his dad when he was 18 to cancer. And so it was a big, you know, and um, Timothy's middle name was Lyle after my husband's father. And so my mother-in-law was kind of like, you know, you don't, you can still basically use that name for another baby. And we didn't feel right about that, but his dad's middle name was Charles. And so, you know, my husband's name. So we were able to kind of meet both, not requirements, but we were kind of be able to fulfill both desires for that. So with his labor and delivery, I just felt like it was very redeeming. You know, it was easier than the girls. I don't know about everybody else, but the girls' pregnancies were so much harder. Um, I couldn't, like, I could only eat fruit and cheese, I felt like. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I could eat. And I love meat, and I I just couldn't stand the sight or smell of meat. Um, But with, with our youngest, it was kind of back to the Pizza, burgers, tacos, Chinese food, Mexican, like just everything. Um, And cheese curds. We had just moved to Wisconsin during his pregnancy. And man, I went to town on cheese curds. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) Um, So he's he's definitely a Wisconsinite for sure. (laughs) Um, But he has been such a light and kind of the one kind of the last one we needed to fulfill our family. Um, he's so, he's so much like my husband in a good way, in a good way, very, very lively, very, uh, loves to be around people, loves to be active. He, he even loves to make people laugh. Even before he was one years old, he was trying to make you, he would do things to make you laugh. Um, so he's just been a really special part of the puzzle. Um, and just very redeeming for me that, you know, I did have another boy, you know, and he's not replacing Timothy, but it just felt like, I don't know, like the bonus kid or like the, I don't know how to explain it, but it just felt like he was an an extra special gift from God to help heal some of those wounds that I didn't have, that I still had. I ended up going all natural with him. He was the only one that had been my goal to go all natural, no drugs, and it's not worth it. It was not worth it. I I was doing really good and I was focused and then they gave me laughing gas and then I got all anxious and del- almost delirious. I'm like, I can't focus. And I just felt shaky and it threw off my focus. So I don't recommend the laughing gas. It doesn't make you laugh. doesn't make the pain go away. Like it, just, it just ruined my focus. 
And then like, I, I finally, I think I got to like a nine. I'm like, you know, call the anesthesiologist. And he walks in right as I push the baby out. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, well, here I, you know, here you need an epidural. I'm like, you're too late. <laughs> so, he and he didn't come out crying either. He was, it was the strangest thing. He's a very loud baby now, but he was so quiet. Like he didn't cry because he was just staring at everybody. He was so much more alert than my other babies, and maybe that was the epidural. You know, not having the epidural, but he was just staring at everybody. Like he wouldn't cry because he was just staring at everybody, taking it all in. So that was very different. Yeah, I don't know. It was just such a blessing, you know, better better hospital conditions, better staff. Um, just a better environment to welcome a baby into the world. Um, so he was, it, it was a good experience to end on. I'm like, maybe I could have more. My husband's like, no, <laughs> no. Then a month, he was snipped. Like, he's done. <laughs> so, and it, as crazy as I might sound, I would love to adopt or foster someday because my brother was adopted and I just see how big of a difference that made in his life. So for me, like, I would love to kind of pay that forward, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> God would have to really change my husband's heart on that and prepare both. That's amazing though. Cause we know yeah. it's very emotionally taxing. And especially on siblings, because I was nine when my brother came. So um, I know how hard it can be as a sibling. So not wanting to, not wanting to go into that unless we're prepared, unless we're ready for it. So, um, talk to me a little bit about you. You had your first son in Chicago. Did you stay in Chicago until you moved to Wisconsin, or were you kind of in other places as well? We were in other places. So I had him a week before we moved to a camp in Michigan. My husband had gotten a job uh, right out of graduation. So we literally a week. So he's like six, seven days old. And we're, I'm just laying on the floor sleeping while everyone else is loading the truck. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and then a week, so we moved to Michigan and then a week later we came back to the cities for his graduation and then a full summer of camp. So that, yeah, so we were in Michigan for 10 months and then I'm, we moved actually in with his mom for three months just because the job just went south really, really fast and there's not much we could do about it. So we moved in the middle of February in Michigan when I was 20 weeks pregnant with, with our second. And then it was a blessing in disguise because then my mother-in-law could watch our oldest so I could finish school. So I could graduate on time. So by the time I graduated, I was eight months pregnant with her. And then I think a month before she was born, we moved back to Iowa, but a different town. And so we were there for the, the three girls for deliveries. So my second, I actually had three different OBs for her in three different, well, not three different states, but three different cities. So that, that was an experience too. <laughs> so that's what I was going to ask you. You had all your children in hospitals. Did you notice a big yes. difference in the way that you were treated by the hospitals, depending on where you were or how they, cause I knew for your first, they, they were treating you like you were very young, like you were a teen mom. Did you notice a difference, I guess, aside from that in the way that the hospitals were operated or the way that they treated you in the hospitals or your experience in the hospitals? Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I feel like the first one, it was like, 
can't remember what hospital it was. It was out in the Burbs. It was very big. We picked it because it was a children's hospital with, th- you know, the third level of the NICU if we if we needed that. So that's why we had picked that hospital as a just-in-case because I know things can go wrong. Um, so, I mean, he didn't need it as much, you know, because he was eight days late. Um, I would say Chicago, they were just, like, trying to get me in and out. Like, my recovery nurses were great, but just the nurse I had that day, like, she was mean. She was mad at me, you know, because I was screaming at her because she blew my IV twice. And, you know, I think she was just having a bad day. <laughs> it, it seemed that way. So, But she was with me the entire time that, like, during labor and delivery. And so that was very difficult. I think the nurses you get after labor and delivery are usually nicer than the ones you have during labor and delivery. But once we moved back to Iowa, the nurses, I mean, they were fantastic. I mean, there's a couple of nurses that are trying to explain, over explain things to me. I'm like, I already have a kid, but just let me out of here. <laughs> just let me out of here. And they had between my second and third child in that Iowa hospital, they had redone a whole new birthing wing. So one experience was kind of the end use of that wing. And then the other two were in the new birthing wing. So those were much more like huge, like birthing suites with the hot tub and everything. So that was really nice to be spoiled and pampered that way. Labor a lot easier just to kind of get through the contractions and such. I think it just depends on the nurse, really. If they're having a bad day or if they're having, I don't know. I try to be reasonable with people, but when you're in, you know, when you're about to push and there's no drugs or, you know, now I'm kind of, I have a really hard time with needles and people drawing my blood. So, um, it just, their level of patience, I think really makes the difference. And then Wisconsin, it was, it was incredible. Like it was a Mayo hospital. Um, I just felt like their standards were much higher, but also during COVID. Well, that's another thing, I guess with my, so with my rainbow baby, um, they shut down the hospital literally like the day after because of like, it was like strep throat or influenza or something. So this is the middle of February. And so they just shut down the hospital and it was so nice because we could just rest and didn't have to like entertain people at the hospital. We could just be on our and the baby's schedule. So that was incredible. And then with the COVID baby, same thing. And thankfully they didn't make me wear a mask the whole time. I just, I was really struggling with my anxiety to breathe. And we could, I think we walked the hall like once with our masks and looked out the window and, but yeah, for COVID basically we were had the baby in our room and we're stuck in our room for quite a while. So, yeah, I felt like that with my second, she was a COVID baby and I was kind of like, it's kind of nice to not have like everybody in the room, <laughs> like everybody come to visit and just kind of like enjoy the time just us before, before we go home. I agree. I, I So you've had plenty of experience giving birth in hospitals and, and advocating for yourself. Tell me a little bit about, can you speak a little bit about advocating for yourself and the importance, especially the importance of it while mm-hmm. giving birth? Um, so kind of like I said with my first, you know, I spoke up because I had a fever and something was wrong. Uh, with my last one, I got stuck, or, like I was kind of over the bed, you know, doing great. And then they made me lay down. And because labor was so intense, it like just took over my body. I was stuck in this like half sitting, half lying down position. And the doc, you know, and it was, um, they had switched from my doctor to somebody else. And she's like, scoot down, scoot down, scoot down. And I'm like, I can't move. And she was like yelling at me and yelling at me. I'm like, I can't move. Like, it's so important to speak up for yourself because you're the only one who knows how you feel. 
and how your body feels. And you're the only one really who can feel the baby and what's happening. So it's so important for you to be the one to speak up and, you know, being careful, like how much they're drugging you and how much they're not drugging you. Because my second, I think the epidural got all the way up to my chest and I couldn't breathe. So if I hadn't said anything, that would have been very dangerous. I'm like, it's, it's, it's up. Like, I'm like, I can't feel anything. Like I can't, I can't feel my lungs. That's not, that's not good. So I think it's very important to stand up for yourself because you're the only one who can. Your husband can try, but honestly, he's just trying to <laughs> appease you so you don't kill him. <laughs> so I think there's only so much the husband can do because he doesn't get it. He doesn't get what's going on with you and your body because he's he'll never be a, a mom and will never have a baby. So it's so important for you to be the one to speak up for yourself and and know that you can, to know that you can and you should, you know, when it comes, because sometimes I'm noticing in hospitals, there's so much that get, gets lost in translation, like in communication, because they don't, you know, they ask you those questions a million times because they're not communicating with each other, especially when it comes to like medication and, you know, something they said to you that was okay. And then one nurse is saying, it's not okay. Like, you're the only one hearing everything and all the communication that's happening. And usually they're the last ones to know. So it's very important for you and your spouse to be paying attention to what they're telling you and then be like, no, this is what the doctor said. Or no, the nurse told me this, that I was able to do this. Why, why aren't you letting me do this? And so um, I think that's, that's really important. I mean, it could, it could be life threat, life-threatening difference. Um, Adrienne, do you want to tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yes. So I'm a stay-at-home mom. So that's my full-time job. But I am an author from home on the side as much as I can. As much as I can. Um, I've published two books. So both have won uh, three awards. And one of them, the miscarriage book, I relaunched in August of 2022 and became a bestseller. So that was amazing. Um, just making it more acceptable more accessible and more, I put more resources in it. Um, I actually put a three in one resource into it. that talks about like what to say, what not to say an emotional health checkup, which is basically like a depression screening, but not calling it a depression screening. And then, um, doctor prompts of like what to talk about or what to ask questions about, whether it's family history, um, genetic history, um, past pregnancies, just your mind is so mush after a miscarriage I just wanted to give those prompts to, to help women. Uh, so they don't have to think through, like they can just check the boxes and be like, okay, this is what I need to talk about. So that is a new, a new resource in the new copy of it. Um, and that's a free download. So I just felt like those, those were the questions I was getting over and over of like, especially people who haven't miscarried, but know people who have, you know, like daughters, daughters-in-law, like, they really wanted to understand what they're going through. Um, the mother, the mothers and the mothers-in-law and the grandmas, they wanted to understand. So that was how that resource came to be. And then, so it's the miscarriage project. And then my second book was, is called princess Amora uh, discovers what true beauty is all about. So it's about inner beauty. And I'm also hoping it'll be like an A to Z series showcasing diversity and biblical principles um, the next one, 
um, is about. So this the first one is based on a, a girl, a Hispanic girl, and the second one is more like Italian, just because of the name Bella. So just kind of goes goes with the territory. But um, so I'm really excited to continue on that series as well. And then there's a children's book, I'm hoping it'll come out this spring, that goes with the Miscarriage Project. It's called My Brother in Heaven. So it's for children that you know, are surviving siblings of the miscarried baby and kind of help parents walk the child through what's happening because, you know, that, that, I think that's my biggest regret is just how much I shut out my kids and how I wasn't taking care of my mental health and just how like, there's just this time gap of like, I just wasn't present and I wasn't really there for them. But it was inspired by my son at the time who was two asking questions about the baby, about heaven and this was this is where that book came about. So I'm really excited to share that this spring. That's awesome. I think that's a great idea too. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited about it and it's kind of neat because the illustrations look like our family and so it was just a really personal special story that um I think is very is very unique to us. I'm really thankful for that. Awesome. That's so awesome. Well, Adrienne, thank you for joining me today, taking time out of your schedule to share to share your stories and talk about advocating for yourself. I really appreciate having your insight and having you on the show. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Carly. I appreciate it. If you enjoy listening to the Labor Lessons podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast listening app. This helps more people to be able to find the podcast and allows us to keep having great guests on the show like we did today. Thank you for listening.